Hello, history nerds and historians. My name is Christina, and this is F-Dop Historical True Crime. <laughs> I don't know. I need to figure out a different song for that one, I guess. This is where we talk about a little tidbit from an old true crime case that's super fucked up. Today, we'll be talking about the case of Bridget Cleary. Some say that Bridget was killed because perpetrator went insane. Some say it was because she was a fairy. Others say it was because she was a witch. At times, she's actually referred to as the last witch of Ireland. So in addition to this just being like an overall really interesting case, um, we talked about Alice Keidler, who was the first witch of Ireland, who um, honestly, I mean, really the first witch of Ireland arguably could be Petronella. So um, it only makes sense to follow it with the last witch of Ireland, right? So trigger warning for begin um, murder graphic description of a crime and crime scene as well as physical verbal and emotional abuse and a brief discussion of mental health so without further ado sit back relax and practice your oh good god what the fuck faces On March 22nd, 1895, the charred remains of Bridget Cleary were found in a shallow grave by a bog in Ballyvadlia, Ireland. And it was determined that she was killed because she was a fairy. So I think when I say fairy, a lot of people think of like Tinkerbell, small little pixies with wings and magic. But in Ireland, fairy beliefs are very different. So the Tuatha de Danon were believed to be an ancient race of supernatural beings that once ruled Ireland. They have an entire mythology around them where each one has its own dominion over something just like with Greek and Roman mythology. We've actually already talked about one of them last spring when we talked about Brigid, goddess of spring and like a thousand other things. She's awesome. Um, at times they are called the fairy race or the fairy people. So the concept of fairies is in like the very mythological foundation of Ireland. Um, again, unlike Tinkerbell, who has a nasty attitude, but for the most part, it's like totally fine and benevolent. Not all fairies were good. A lot of them were actually believed to be evil or tricksters or like downright dangerous. In Ireland, there are all sorts of different fairies, like the Banshee, whose scream signals the death of a member of major Irish families. You've got the Leprechaun, who guard their gold and make shoes. There's the shapeshifter known as the Puka, who destroy crops and terrify people on livestock. There's the Doolahan, which is kind of like an Irish headless horseman. And then there's the changelings. So anyone who's watched Outlander or like read the Outlander books would be relatively familiar with the idea of a changeling. There's one scene that's like actually really jarring and emotional that shows how widespread changeling beliefs were. It was a popular belief that at times a fairy would covet a child and take it. Now, there were typically three reasons why a fairy would want to abduct a human child, which would be because they wanted a servant in the fairy world, or um, at times it was for like malicious or vengeful reasonings, or because the fairy just really loved the child and wanted to raise it as its own. Typically, this fairy that was left in place of this human child was sickly or developed some sort of delay or issue, or they might become what was called fairy stuck, which was when like they couldn't move any of their limbs, um, which to me sort of sounds like lockjaw, but to them it was fairy stuck. There would be times when a child was deformed or something grew weirdly on them, and that could also be a sign that this wasn't the actual child anymore. This was a fairy. So, you know, when a fairy would abduct 
abduct a child, they would leave a, a fairy in its place. And that would be the changeling. Now, a lot of the time, when a parent suspected that their child might actually be a changeling, they would still take care of this fairy child as well as they could because they were concerned that the fairies would see how they were treating this youngling and then harm their child or worse, like just never give them back. At other times, it was believed that the human child would be returned if the changeling was made to laugh um, or unfortunately, if the changeling was tortured or died. So this did unfortunately lead to some babies and small children getting tortured and killed um, or left out in the woods in an area that was believed to be full of fairies. And as the babies would cry, the fairies would come and switch the children back again. It's like what you see in Outlander. So it's a really heavy topic. If the changeling died also, it was believed that the real child would be returned. So a real life example you have of this would be Michael Leahy, um, who in 1826 was drowned in Kerry, Ireland. There were some people in the town who thought that he was a changeling because out of nowhere, he developed this terrible illness where he wasn't speaking and he couldn't stand upright. So they went to a woman named Anne Roche who was an older woman who was believed to have like supernatural healing abilities, sort of like a cunning woman um, during medieval times. She told people in town to bathe Michael in the river. um, And every morning and on the third morning, the people who were bathing him just held him under the water for too long and he died. It wasn't intentional. They were just trying to help him in a way um, that, that we would think today would be very backwards, but it speaks to the beliefs of the people during this time. Anne and the people who accidentally murder him were brought to trial and they were found not guilty, which again, I think sort of shows the beliefs of the times. It was typically children that this happened to, that it was believed to be changelings, especially if it was a beautiful baby. I read that there was a strong push against what they called overlooking the baby, which doesn't mean ignoring the baby. It literally means like looking at it too much because that would catch the attention of the fairies. But this also did sometimes happen with adults as well. So sometimes men were lured away, seduced by beautiful women who would then kidnap them and take them as a lover. But typically... If there was an adult to be targeted by the fairies, it was a woman. So a pregnant woman or a new mom getting a lot of attention. Same thing with like a newlywed woman, but also just if the woman was really beautiful, especially if she was successful. And that's um, kind of where this story today begins. So Bridget Cleary was born Bridget Boland in Balavadlia, which I apologize if I'm saying that wrong, Balavadlia, Ireland in 1869. As a teenager, she was educated and then became a dressmaker's apprentice, and she was very good at her job. She met Michael Cleary, who was a woodworker or a cooper, as they were called back then, and they were married in August of 1887 when she was 18 years old. So some sources that I read talked about how it was kind of like a strange match for Bridget to marry Michael. He was significantly older than her. He was nine years older than her, which I know like for some people they're like, oh, it's not really that big of a difference. But when you're 18 years old and and your partner is 28, 27, um, that's kind of a big difference. He was also reported to be kind of gloomy and unfriendly and not really approachable, where Bridget was said to be like this bright, bubbly personality or like every Dateline episode. She had a smile that lit up the room, which is just like code for you're going to get murdered. Also, kind of weird were their living arrangements. After they got married, she didn't just become a housewife, as was usually the case during this time period. She continued to sew and uh, expanded her craft. She became a milliner as well, which is a hat maker for anyone who doesn't know. I didn't know that that was the official term until like 
relatively recently um she was also able to obtain a sewing machine which made life a lot easier and she um to supplement her income she also sold eggs to her neighbors but she didn't live with michael she lived with her parents for the first years of their marriage and only really saw her husband on the weekends honestly no idea really why this was how it was other than some people think that it was because she was helping take care of her mother who was sick but within a few years of them getting married michael did move to bridget's hometown to be closer to her her and michael did very well for themselves they were able to purchase one of the best houses in the neighborhood which you would think at first would cause like envy amongst the townsfolk but nobody wanted this home because it was said to be built on the site of a fairy fort or like a prehistoric stone circle where it was said that fairies like to gather and it was also said that fairies had run the le- the last tenants out of their home. Bridget's cousin, Joanna, who later testified in her case, said that she never saw them fight or have any sort of dispute at all. She said that she thought that Michael and Bridget were incredibly in love and were very successful, although um, they weren't successful for the time period when it came to children, because after like eight years of marriage, they didn't have any children. But they were happy allegedly and they were still relatively young so they didn't have to like rush it much there are some other people though who claim that he was violent towards her in the months leading up to her death they were married for eight years when the events of today's case took place so in early march of 1895 bridget was delivering eggs to some of her clients and again i'm sorry kylan agronal ireland which was said to be the site of a fairy ring Now, it could be like the stones that her house was rumored to be built on, but it could also just be like a ring of mushrooms or flowers that happened naturally. Uh, And she may have even walked through this ring. So there's this belief that like if you walk through a fairy ring, like the fairies could kidnap you. And it was actually pretty funny during COVID. I had a few friends who were like sharing like mushroom circles that popped up in their backyard and they were like, oh, BRB, gonna go party with the fairies. Maybe they don't have COVID. Um, So it's kind of funny. But within a few days of her making this trip, Bridget suddenly got extremely ill. She could barely move. She had an awful fever. Um, When the doctors was called, they said that she had bronchitis and a, quote, nervous excitement. So one of her neighbors, John Dunn, came to see how she was doing, took one look at her and said, that is not Bridget. The beautiful Bridget had been taken by the fairies. And this was a changeling. So John Dunn had some really strong beliefs about the old fairy traditions, even though most people during this time didn't really have those beliefs anymore. They were sort of dying off. But as the days went on, she wasn't getting any better. And this idea really started taking root in Michael Cleary's brain and some of their family members. On March 13th, 1895, Michael called for a doctor who determined that her diagnosis was grave, and he called for a priest to come and give her her last rites just in case. But the next day on March 14th, Michael contacted a folk healer, although some referred to him as a witch doctor, named Dennis Ganey. Dennis gave him a blend of herbs and talked Michael through all that he needed to do to expel the fairy and get his wife back. However, some of these herbs were poisonous, like foxglove. So oftentimes these herbs would be given to someone who was sick who was expected or who was suspected to be a fairy and uh, it would just end up killing them so that night Bridget's cousin Joanna Burke came by to check on Bridget and saw Michael three of her brothers and John Dunn holding her down force feeding her the herbs and asking her are you Bridget Boland the wife of Michael Cleary in the name of God 
Bridget answered positively twice. They asked her a third time and she refused to answer. So the five men hauled her over to the fireplace where they held her over it and demanded again that she tell them who she was. This time her father also asked and Joanna said that Bridget was wild and deranged but responded, yes, I am Bridget Boland, daughter of Pat Boland in the name of God. And after she answered this question for the third time, they put her back in bed like nothing fucking happened. Like Michael, her husband, three of her cousins and some random fucking neighbor weren't literally just torturing her and holding her over the hot fireplace asking a question that she already fucking answered twice. Like, I'm sorry, if you ask me a question that I've already answered you, I'm broad enough that I will not respond the third time. You already fucking heard me and and I'm not going to repeat myself again. If you hold me over a fireplace, I probably will. But that's just taking it a step or two too far and it's completely unnecessary. The next morning, March 15th, 1895, Michael started harassing Bridget again to get him to leave her the fuck alone. She was like, you better leave me alone because I'm pretty sure I see police outside. And if you abuse me again, I'll let them know what is happening in here. And he responded by taking the chamber pot in their room full of piss and shit and throwing it all over her. Then he dragged her into the living room where her cousin Joanna was with Bridget's aunt, Mary Kennedy, her father, Pat Boland, and Joanna's brother, Pat Kennedy. Joanna asked her how she was doing, and Bridget allegedly responded that she was middling, which means like so-so, because her husband was trying to make a fairy of her, and he told her to hold her tongue. Bridget was pissed at being treated this way, but she was too weak to actually fight her husband off, so she turned to Michael and was like, your mother used to go with the fairies all the time, and that's why you think I'm going with them. So... Like, I admire her moxie, definitely how I would have responded as well. Um, Like, the moment he would have thrown piss or shit at me, like, I probably would have thrown hands back at him. But if not, I would have definitely resorted to, like, mama insult because I'm petty. Uh, This pissed Michael off, and he allegedly struck her, tore off her clothing, leaving her only in her chemise, which is, like, her underwear, and then he threw her into a chair. He then made three pieces of bread with jam on them and forced her to eat them. After she finished each piece, he would demand to know who she was. Allegedly, some of the people who were watching tried to intervene or flee, but Michael prevented them from doing this. Bridget ate two pieces and then answered twice who she was and then asked for tea that Joanna had made for her. And Michael told her that she was not allowed to drink it until she finished. But her mouth was probably fucking dry, Michael. Like, let the woman have a goddamn drink. He asked her one more time and she stayed silent and refused to finish this meal that he made for her. Again, people watching tried to intervene. And when Michael tried to fight them off, they went and they hid in the bedroom. Michael then shoved the last piece of bread into her mouth and told her that if she didn't want to eat it, that he would force her to. And when she refused to swallow, he threw her to the ground and mobilized her by shoving his knee onto her chest and then started choking her, screaming at her to swallow the bread. And she still refused, probably because you're fucking choking her. And she like literally can't swallow Michael. So he grabbed a hot poker from the fireplace and held it close to her, telling her again to swallow. And that is when her dress caught on fire. When Michael noticed that her dress was starting to burn, he grabbed lamp oil that was close by and doused her in it, burning her alive. This is when the people who were hiding in the bedroom said that they heard screaming and then the house began to fill with smoke and an awful smell. Although Joanna, who was the main witness during this trial, said she wasn't sure if Bridget was already deceased when the burning started or not, for Bridget's sake, I really hope that she was. As Bridget was burning, one of the people hiding in the room went out to investigate and reported back, quote, Bridgie is burning. 
Michael allegedly sat down on a chair and watched as she burned and said, quote, it is not my wife. I'm not going to keep an old witch or some say that he said fairy in place of my wife. I must get my wife back. It is not Bridget. I am burning. You will soon see her go up the chimney. After she was done burning, Joanna's brother, Pat, helped Michael dispose of Bridget's body in a shallow grave near a bog. The next day on March 16th, 1895, Michael started telling people that Bridget was missing, that she had been taken by the fairies and he needed to get her back. So he went to the fairy ring where he thought it all started at Kailena Grenau, and he supposedly stayed there for three days waiting for her to return. And she, of course, never did. People started looking into it and trying to figure out where she might have gone or what happened to her. And about a week later, on March 22nd, 1895, her remains were found. The coroners who examined her body determined that the cause of death, as if it wasn't obvious, said that they could find no wounds on her and she was so badly burned they could see her internal organs. But she was easy to identify because her face was unharmed. They concluded that her death occurred after she was burned, but they still questioned how she came to be in this state and who may have done it. After an investigation, it was determined that Michael was the one who committed the act. In result, all 10 people who were present, including Michael, Bridget's father, her cousin, an aunt, and Joanna, were arrested and brought to trial. The trial lasted for five days from April 1st to April 6th, 1895. Now, while I couldn't find statements themselves, I found records um, that testimonies were made by Katie Burke, who was Joanna's 10-year-old daughter. Joanna Burke, John Dunn, Pat Boland, Dennis Ganey, Mary Simpson were all interviewed on the stand, as well as Reverend Cornelia. Fleming Ryan, who gave her her last rites, and who I'm assuming are her cousins, although I'm not fully sure. Um, and their names were Alfred J. Wandsborough, Patrick Egan, Thomas Smith, and Henry St. Jones. Joanna's testimony is the one that's referenced the most in all the sources that I read because of all of the testimonies, her is the one that is corroborated the most by the other witnesses that were involved and the other people who were on trial. During the trial, it's reported that Michael Cleary was well-dressed but had a wild look in his eye and he would interrupt and shout and accuse people on the stand of colluding against him and, and changing their stories and told them that they needed to just tell the truth that Bridget was actually captured by the fairies. Michael was not the only one who was on trial. Like I said, 10 people were arrested because, as the prosecution argued, yes, they didn't like physically have a hand in her murder, but they stood by and didn't help Bridget. They didn't uh, take her out of the home after watching her being held over the fire the night before her murder or try to restrain Michael or anything. They went hid in a bedroom instead of trying to help her. So as part of the trial, the jurors were actually led to the building where Bridget's body was being held before her burial, and they saw firsthand the condition of her body. The jury, after listening to all of these testimonies, dropped the first-degree murder charge uh, to manslaughter, and Michael was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Joanna Burke, Joanna's 10-year-old daughter Katie, were all acquitted of the charges. Mary Simpson, Bridget's aunt, was charged with wounding Bridget but wasn't sentenced to any jail time. Bridget's cousins and her father Pat were sentenced from anywhere to 6 to 18 months of hard labor. Patrick, Joanna's brother who helped bury Bridget's body, was sentenced to five years in prison. And John Dunn, the neighbor, was sentenced to three years in prison. Michael served 15 years of his 20-year sentence and was released on April 28, 1919. He moved to Liverpool after his release and then moved to Canada where he just fell off record. We don't really know what happened to him after that. Although it's said that he never believed that he actually killed his wife and claimed his innocence the entire time, expecting Bridget to come back from the fairylands one day and so they could live happily ever after. 
So some final notes that I want to mention, that is the end of the case of Bridget Cleary. So some final notes are the reason why Bridget's death is sometimes referred to as a case of witchcraft or why she's sometimes called the last witch of Ireland, strictly because of the media. Newspapers that were publishing about this case all over the world were calling it a witch burning case because that was a lot catchier than a fairy burning. And people knew of the witch burnings that happened in Europe you know, in like the 1500s and everything. Um, But like the fairy beliefs were sort of, I mean, they wouldn't be taken very seriously, right? So Bridget was never said to be a consort of the devil. She was never accused of committing acts of witchcraft. It was strictly believed by her husband who murdered her and those who stood by and watched it happen that she was a fairy changeling. Additionally, there are some historians who um, either like also have a medical license or partner with mental health professionals who, um, like to sort of like retroactively diagnose historical figures with certain mental disorders based on records that we have. Um, uh, Like I personally go back and forth on whether this is um, ethical or valid, I guess you can say, because it's like telling your therapist about a friend and then the therapist having never met this person diagnoses your friend with a medical or mental health disorder. Like even if you base these diagnoses on autobiographies, people are notoriously unreliable narrators about themselves. But with that in mind, and that said, there are some people who believe that Michael Cleary had something called Capgrass delusion, which is when a person basically believes that their loved one has been replaced by an imposter while having a brief psychotic episode. Um, Again, ethics of that make me feel yucky. So I don't know how I feel about it, but I guess like it's a good theory. Um, Also, one more note, uh, even though this case is older it occurred after the invention of the camera, which was in the early 1800s. So there are actually crime scene photos, not of Bridges remains or anything, um, but there are pictures of their cottage outside and inside. There are also pictures of the approximate location where her remains were found. And there are also pictures of Bridget and Michael Cleary. So if you want to sort of like get a more exact mental image, you can go to my sources that I have listed. It's the uh, historycollection.com source that has like all of the images that I'm talking about. And my final note, as you may have heard, the little musical interlude that I like to do after my intro before I get started on the case or the story, this time is a little different than it normally is. I found that the story and death of Bridget Cleary has been turned into a fucked up nursery rhyme. More specifically, it's a jump rope song that's sang in parts of Ireland. So if you didn't catch it, the lyrics are, are you a witch or are you a fairy? Or are you the wife of Michael Cleary? So that's fun. I like that almost as much as I like ghost stories about people when they're lying. So anyway, (laughs) hope you liked this historical true crime case today. Um, Well, I mean, liked, tolerated, I don't know, enjoyed listening to me talk about it. I don't know. I, I don't know if you can really like like true crime. I mean, I feel like I like true crime. Anyway, thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more, please consider subscribing or leaving a review or joining my Patreon. Uh, If you have any stories from history or mythology or like historical true crime, please reach out because I'm always looking for new ideas. And remember, friends, history may be watching you. So don't fuck it up. And also don't murder your wives because you think that they're fairies. Um, I would think that one should go without saying, but, uh, but clearly not. So bye.